Welcome, my mishpoche, everybody, for joining me again. I, it's been a little longer than a week, so I'm sorry for anyone who's actually loyal to this. I, I swear to God, it might just be one or two people. Not even. Actually, it's probably me. I'm the only loyal one to this. Let's be real. Anyways, I'm excited. I'm going to give you a book summary. It's called Super Thinking. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of this, but oh boy, oh boy. Oh my goodness, it just popped away. Okay, we got it. We got the note back. Listen, 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 listen. Okay. This is about mental models. All right, that's what this book's all about. By the way, I got music in the background. I really, really, really hope it doesn't take over today. We shall see. I don't care. No one's listening to this. Whatever. So mental models, if you've never heard of this, it is when you can put a name to something or a feeling. For example, when you learned multiplication as a kid, you could never imagine not using multiplication. Right now, it is a mental model. So you're going to go attack a problem using multiplication because it's a mental model. You know it. It is, it is ingrained. Mental models can be as superficial as, um, I guess, knowing, oh God, what is a simple mental model? Yeah, addition or multiplication. Very simple mental model. You know how to, once you know it, you can't not know it. A very complex mental model is like, Someone learns that hard work equals success. So now their mental model is that, and they can never unlearn that. They just now know success derives from hard work and smart work, and they can never unlearn it. So they're going to use that for the rest of their life. And, and the more things you can learn mental model-wise, the less fragile you are. That, that's what this book talks about, that you'll be anti-fragile to life shockers. When you know mental models, when you know what to call things, when you know what's happening, you're not just like blind and taken aback by it. You know what I mean? Anyways, adverse thinking is the first thing to talk about in this book. Let's flip the connotation towards the situation. So, you know, in for example, be right more versus be wrong less is an example they use. I like to use fitness analogies. So imagine this saying to eat healthy more versus eat unhealthy less. There's a negative and a positive connotation to those two. And so flipping, uh, what they call it? adverse, what they call this? Adverse thinking. Yeah, it's smart. It's the way we should actually think about things. Uh, and we'll get to a point called lateral thinking later. That's what that is. It's thinking a little laterally, not just critically. Premature optimization is a mental model that coders use, but you can take the coding aspect out of it and use it for life as well. So for example, a lot of businesses, especially apps like tech startup apps and stuff, they don't want to optimize prematurely because they know they'll have to work on something later. And the best example of this is imagine booking a trip for your family, a vacation, and you've got the hotels down, you got everything down, all the details. And then after you got the details down, you ask your family if they want to go on a vacation. And they say, no, I'm busy. And you didn't even ask them if they're free to do it. <laughs> Yet you booked everything else. This is no different than an app that's been perfectionized, if that's even a word. And then you ask people, hey, do you want a zombie game? And they say, no, no, I don't. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit, I just made all the details. The example they use here is donuts. To put out just a regular donut with sprinkles see if people like donuts see what i'm saying and then you spice up the donut with all the fancy flavors that's premature optimization and so there's a, a quote by 
the LinkedIn CEO, I think he said, if you're not embarrassed by your first business or whatever, you, you, uh, have, oh fuck, what was it? It's if you aren't embarrassed by your first, um, copy of whatever you, you haven't, you've released it too late. It was something like that. Anyways, there's something called nudging and anchoring. This is in regards to having people pay a certain amount in business. For example, three options for printing. There's web only, $59. There's print only, $125. And print and web, $125 as well. Or like, or realistically in business, it'd be like 130 like five bucks difference. No one's going to do the web only when they could get web and something else for 125 Uh Oh, sorry, sorry. Or print only. It's like, yeah, that's what I meant to say. The print only. That's the same price as web and print. People are obviously going to pick the most value. And so you're always guaranteeing 125 bucks. So like imagine a business that uh, coffee and a muffin, right? Let's say... The coffee costs them like five cents a cup. The muffins are what's actually kind of expensive at like 50 cents a muffin. They may, they want to price it at, let's see here. They'd want to price it at uh, coffee, two bucks, muffin, five bucks, muffin and coffee, five twenty. And then people are like, oh my God, I'm getting such a deal. And, and even though the coffee, they're still profiting on the coffee. It's just now they're forcing, they, they're getting the extra money no matter what. Like they're guaranteeing that instead of, yeah, I don't know. And you could shape, I'm no, I'm no business called Boynick. I'm just saying like you could shape that however you want. Availability bias. Uh, this is cool. This is when new or popular stats and info make people feel like there's more emphasis on those stats and info. For example, the book uses it, the example of immigration in the U.S. that, because the news and, and certain politicians are all about talking about it, everyone thinks it's at this like all-time high when the stats don't reflect that at all. Yeah, immigration was higher in the past. And I just found that interesting. There's so much new information. I, I, I think of fad diets right away because I'm in the fitness industry. New fad diets, new fad workouts, and people are all about it. And they think like that's what what's new and groundbreaking. And But there have been groundbreaking diets in the past. It's all about caloric deficit and stuff. So anyways... Fundamental attribution error. This is interesting. Uh, so this is similar to confirmation bias. Like this is when your beliefs get questioned by new information. And that's why it ties into availability bias. But I actually disagree with it slightly. Because, for example, fundamental attribution error would be someone is late for your meeting. And you right away go, Bobby is is unprofessional because he was late no no bobby might be very professional he was just late like those are separate however this is where i do describe it because let's use the context of you get to know someone better and you see that they are late a lot and now that does actually reflect their character and personality but i understand like this talking about lack of judgment is what we need like we need to actually get rid of some of this judgment when people do things and not tie it to their character because it's not like they do it all the time that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. Maybe they do do it all the time. Who knows? 
There's something called the Semmelweis reflex. I, don't, I think I pronounced that right. Current conventional thinking can deter us from facts. Uh, the great story of this, excuse me, is doctors not washing their hands way back in the day. So they completely believed they weren't killing people by not washing their hands. And then someone said, like, listen, uh, there's more infection with the people that, you know, are getting doctors not washing their hands and stuff. So when they started washing their hands and the data reflected that of it was getting people better, I think they just made up some, you know, fricata excuse as to why it was. Anyways, this, this seminal reflex, it is also known as confirmation bias. It's, it's when, you know, our current conventional thinking takes us away from new information, right? And so think about some of these people that are against global warming. Clearly, it's like the new info is against their beliefs they grew up with. Next. Oh, and then I was, I, I posed a question after this. like, what do we discount today because of our previous beliefs? Like, what am I discounting today because of previous beliefs? I'm trying to think. Like, I'll think on the spot here because I'm sure, like, I don't know. I'm pretty open at I'll let you think, you the listener, think about this. Like, what are you discounting today? And again, I'm, I'm just not even conscious to what I'm discounting, right? Like, I want to say it's something very, I'm pretty progressive, but maybe it's like, maybe it's got to do with clothes. Like, maybe men's clothes right now are very different to women and vice versa. Maybe like dudes will be wearing dresses and, and, because of my previous beliefs, I'll just think that's not like normal. And anyway, I don't know. I'm just brainstorming. Let's move on, people. Disconfirmation bias. This is super fascinating. So, by the way, if you're not into mental models, just skip this episode because I'm going to keep firing mental models your way. A lot of random tidbits, but enjoy. Disconfirmation bias. The example perfectly describes this is someone that gets on the scale a second time because they were not content with their weight the first time. So they think magically getting on the second time, they might see a different weight. And then if they do see a different weight, they're not going to go a third time. They're going to hop off and take that data. And so, yeah, this is the opposite of confirmation. This is where we actually take advice and we cherry pick, or sorry, not advice, we take info and we cherry pick the info until we find info we're satisfied with. Isn't that wild? Like, and think how often we do this all the time. <laughs> bias is huge nowadays, eh? Like, that's I'm telling you, bias is everywhere. Like, watch the documentary Social Dilemma. You'll see that the algorithms on social media and even just not like not even social media, just on search engines, the algorithms are pushing us towards our biases more and more. The society is drifting apart more and more. There's two different sides. And it's, I'm, I'm glad they're educating people on it because now we're going to be able to change that in the next generation. Next, let's talk about cognitive dissonance. You, y'all probably know this term, right? This is a very popular term, um, but it is still a mental model. And oh, for anyone that doesn't actually know what cognitive dissonance is, uh, this is when a person... It's like moral conviction. You, your beliefs, you know, you think something is just right. Uh, cognitive dissonance would be where like you don't even take the other side into consideration. 
because you really do think your side is morally and ethically correct, even though that's what the other person's saying, and therefore you can't necessarily even it's philosophical at that point. But you know, I, I feel like it isn't as bad as long as a person recognizes that they aren't judging and that the other person's on the same side as them. Like they both truly want what's best for the world or, or themselves. I don't know. Um, have you ever been conflicted when your beliefs are questioned by new up information? There is something called the tyranny of small decisions. This is really cool. This mental model is based off a story of something called uh, tragedy of the commons where in pe- farmers were allowed a cow and having a cow benefited the farmer they made more money and the economy grew but when everyone got a cow the cows ate all the grass in this area i think it was an area of boston way back before it was a big city and then no one could farm anymore because there's no grass so the cows couldn't survive so it's funny because what actually benefited the farmer in the first place ended up hurting them in the long run it's actually identical to factories one factory would not hurt the planet it would actually benefit the planet because there'd be people with jobs and more value to those customers however as you can see where i'm going with this It's just like the cows that when there are millions of factories, metaphorical cows, they damage the planet. And then when the planet is so damaged that those people cannot conduct business because they're dead or extinct, obviously now those businesses suck. So you see what I'm saying? Uh, There's an effect for this later we'll talk about, and it's called the cobra effect. It's kind of interesting, but it's a little different. You'll see. This, the spillover effect. There's another mental model. It's very simple. It's just keep in mind, you're not just hurting yourself or benefiting yourself with your actions. You are actually hurting and benefiting other people all the time. You don't even realize it. That's the mind blowing thing. There are some funny stories I want to tell you about the public trolling corporations. And the whole theme of this is consequence. One of them is in England. They wanted to give uh, uh, I was going to say the fans. They wanted to give society, the public, the right to pick a name for this boat. So people turned into a mockery and they actually voted in Bodie McBoatface. (laughs) They ended up changing the name later, but that's really funny. The the next one's even better. Mountain Dew did the same thing. Gave their customers the, the chance to vote in a new name for a flavor. So of course, these people are really cheeky. And they voted in diabetes as the name of the drink and then the last one's my favorite it was with walmart and the walmart's facebook page that got the most likes in this given time frame got a private concert from no other than pitbull so someone orchestrated everyone to to like the facebook page of the smallest walmart in the country which is up in alaska this tiny town in alaska and so they, they honored that and they schlepped pitbull all the way up there and he actually gave a private concert <laughs> and they invited the dude that orchestrated the whole thing and that mashuganer got up there <laughs> anyway it's really funny <laughs> so consequence those clearly those businesses thought oh this is a great idea we're gonna get people involved they're gonna talk about our brand and then obviously it backfired <laughs> so just watch out for what you aim to do and what people could do with it those are consequences 
There's something called the principal agent problem. Oh, and we all heard of this. Just this book gave it a name, the principal agent problem, which is you will never have someone take care of you like you will take care of yourself. For example, they use and they, they, they use real estate agents. I think maybe that's why they call it principal agent problem. This real estate agent, if he really or she really worked hard on your house to sell it, they could probably get it up another 10000 But the time they spend trying to make that 10000 they'd only make in commission, let's say like, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something. Whereas if they spent the same time selling other deals, then they make thousands more. So for them, it's in their best interest to make more money. So they're going to work on other, other houses and just get yours on the market, whatever, blah, blah, blah. See what I'm saying? You will all, and this is the same for everything, investments, you name it. Like, and even coaching and it's just everything. Like people are not going to take care of yourself. Like you will take care of yourself. Keep that in mind. Okay. Asymmetrical information is a mental model that you can't question certain professions or no certain professionals because they have more info than you. And this is really sometimes demoralizing and very frustrating because you know something's wrong. Like your gut feelings tell me this is not right, but you just can't question the person because they have more information than you, more credentials. So let's use that example of the real estate agent. You're pissed. You're like, I know I can get more money in this. I know I can. But you can't question them because they have more info. Like they know the comps. They know this and that. They'll, they'll tell you, hey, the comps say this. Even though in your gut, like, you know it's not right. That's asymmetrical information. Like I'm thinking in the fitness industry. If someone said like, listen, I don't feel right. I'm, I'm not losing weight because like some underlying health issue. But a coach has more information to say like, no, 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 I've seen this before. You have this, you have that. You, you can't question them, even though you want to question the person. And I'm not even saying you're right. I'm not even saying you're right. I'm just saying you can't question the person. That's frustrating because they know more. This, I, I, I wrote here, mind blown. The more people that need insurance, the higher the cost. So companies make money is this okay or is there a better way bars by the way just wrapping out here think about that let's say tons of people need insurance for for uh slipping and falling and since a lot of people need that because a lot of people know they'll slip and fall the insurance companies know they'll have to pay out more people and since that's a business like it's a business for them they want to make a lot of money they're going to charge more for that insurance because they know they'll have to pay more but isn't it funny that since so many people need it uh and and like it's going to be too expensive for some people it's just kind of messed up if you ask me like you'd think if a lot of people need something you'd make it a little cheaper but anyways whereas they'll make it cheap for like tornado insurance and in Toronto where there's no tornadoes like see what I'm saying because they know they'll make it cheap because they know they're making that money they know they're not paying that money back whereas the people that are gonna need the money at some point for sure they jack those rates up because they know they'll pay them out it's kind of fucked up I don't know this is called the Cobra slash Streisand effect I'll tell you these two stories that explain the effects kind of cool because it's about stopping a situation can cause it to get out of control. And you think, how is this possible? How can stopping something actually make it worse? But in India, they had a cobra problem. So they told people, if you catch cobras and give them back and kill them, we will pay you. <laughs> so people started breeding cobras to kill and make money. 
And then the government said, this is not right. You have to let them go. And when they let people stopped and let all the cobras go, they actually had more cobras than when they started out. So the problem got worse. This is the same thing as Barbara Streisand got a private home. She wanted it to be private. No one to know about it. But TMZ got a little picture of it. And remember, this is just TMZ. The one, And, and maybe, maybe TMZ would put it out and a thousand people would click on it. Because who the hell cares about a celebrity's home? So, but... Barbara Streisand made a big deal about it. Said, TMZ, I'm suing you because no one was supposed to see my place. And then TMZ made a big deal. Barbara Streisand made a big deal. Everyone made a big deal about it. It got in the news that she was suing them. And of course, more than a thousand, like tons of people flocked to see, what is this private home she wanted to look so private? And that is where it got worse than if she had just stopped it initially. Or sorry, if she had just let it ride. Um... There's something here called the boiling frog analogy. A, a lot of people have heard about this, which is shocking to me because I was never aware of this concept. Frogs jump out of hot water. However, if they start in cold water and it slowly boils, they will die. They'll boil to death. They just don't realize it's getting hotter until it's too late. This is so fascinating because of the metaphorical similarities with our own lives that so many people jump in to something and it's okay but it starts to get bad but because of you know adaptation to pain or hedonism we're talking about people that stay in really shitty situations like a lot of self-abuse and you look at and let's go really radical you look at drug users people that really go down a dark path with drugs like it's not like it they start doing all that it starts with just one little thing one person one connection uh, you know I just really like that analogy. It's kind of poetic. There's something here called short-termism. I'm going to start banging through some of these unless I really think they're cool. This is that making only short-term plays will diminish future gains. Keep this in mind. Now, it's kind of contradictory because a lot of people say like you can't just look long-term. It's called detaching from outcomes. We actually talked about this in a past podcast. And that sometimes you have to focus on the short-term and not think about the long-term so you don't miss opportunities that align with your goals in the long-term, right? Sounds like a trippy concept, but you do have to detach from that long-term goal. However, this book, and this is, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is just theory. So take this with a grain of salt. Short-termism is that only focusing on the short-term, never even setting that long-term goal, won't allow you to hit your potential, whatever that long-term goal might actually be. Because whether you say it or not, you have a long-term goal. Some people go, I don't have one. I don't know what I want to do. Trust me. Trust me. You do. (laughs) Even if the long-term goal is to just keep doing the same thing, that is still a long-term goal. And you have to plan to be able to do the same thing forever. See what I'm saying? (laughs) Anyways, what do I put here? What do I put here? Uh, Yeah, always thinking too short-term creates a poor path dependence later. Being full and it forces you to take a certain path. That is a deep thing. I never thought about that. Short-termism, short-termism will force you to take a deeper path. Uh, and that's due to irre- irreversible decisions. Right? And we'll actually get to that in a second. Jeff Bezos loves reversible versus irreversible decisions. And think about a business. They'll get surpassed by other businesses who think long-term if they're not. Any examples of your life where you got stuck thinking in short-term mindsets? There is something called preserving options. This is like saving money for an investment, but you can look at this not financially. Uh, I like to look at it health-wise, preserving your options. Stay healthy so that you have the option, if you want, to partake in a race, camping, games with grandkids, a sport when you're older. That's preserving an option health-wise. 
Jeff Bezos loves reversible versus irreversible decisions. What are these? Things, it's actually self-explanatory, but I'll use an example. Retiring, that's reversible. You can retire and then be like, ah, I don't like this, I'm going back to work. Or having a child, that is irreversible. You can never unhave that child. <laughs> See what I'm saying? And so Jeff Bezos says he doesn't even think twice about the rever reversible decisions. He just says, okay, if it's going to benefit me, let's do it. And then he can always reverse it. Irreversible ones, he says he takes a minute to think about the irreversible stuff. You should too. I love that. What are some reversible decisions you want to make? And then what are some irreversible ones you want to make as well? Think about that. Talk to your friend about it. So Hicks Law. This is cool. The more choices you have equals the more time it takes to make a choice. It actually sounds self-explanatory, but you don't think about these things. However, I want you to go about life thinking about it. And that's what these mental models are all about. Do you use this in business? Do you use this along anchoring or nudging, right? Like less choices means quicker decision for the client. You don't want someone contemplating your business. Like the quicker they can make a decision, the more money you'll make as a business. So this is why I've seen some people in the fitness industry have tons of packages, like tons of options. I'm like, this is just overwhelming. Your person's going to go home and quote unquote, think about it. I've heard that a million times. Whereas if you just had three packages, this, 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 they're going to be like, okay, this one, this one, this, yeah, this, this fits me. And then that's it. What is a good mission statement or North Star to describe yourself? Think about that. I, I, it's a little too small. It's a little too raunchy for me. But hey, if you like that stuff, make yourself a mission statement. What are you all about? There's something called two front wars. Have you heard of this? And this is all about, excuse me. This is about, it's like an analogy from the war where people were getting attacked from both sides. So they couldn't, if they defended one side, they're going to get attacked from the other. They're going to lose no matter what. And it's actually a pretty pessimistic idea. But hear me out. A and P. We all know A and P if you lived in Ontario for a while. They used to have a lot of places, but they're out of business now. They went bankrupt. You think why they go bankrupt? Costco. Giving people the low cost option because everything's on sale there, like cheaper than most places. And then Farm Boy or like Sunripe, the high cost options. A&P was in the middle and no one likes that. Like people are either going to go for the bougie food or they're going to go for this really cheap food. And A&P was in the middle. So they were getting attacked. They couldn't compete with the cheap places who already had huge warehouses and they couldn't compete with the bougie places who had, again, locked in those clientele. Think about that. Two front wars. You got to pick one or the other. Don't get stuck in the middle in life. Some people try to do that, right? I always think about that. You got to, I actually just recently, this is a tangent I'm about to go on. I just recently saw this curve. People think being liked and being disliked is on like two ends of a spectrum or like a linear thing. But the person showed like a bell curve and that being disliked and liked, no, it's loved and hated. Sorry, loved and hated are at the top of the bell curve. If you can picture that. So they're very close. Like you are just one step away from being hated if you're loved and vice versa. If you're... You know what I mean? Think about these people that are very controversial online. They have absolute diehard fans, but they also have huge haters. You know, think of all the celebrities out there versus your average schmoes that no one knows about just being disliked or liked and they're in the middle there. They're at the bottom of the bell curve where they got to go a long ass way to be liked uh, by everyone, right? For everyone to like you, you got to go a long way. And for everyone to dislike you, you got to go a long way. To be loved by a lot of people, it's you're a step away from being hated by a lot of people, which it, I don't know. In my opinion, life's, you can't just keep putting a, a mask on for everyone in your life. You gotta, you gotta do it and know that when you're authentic, you're going to have people love you. Anyways, 
like I said, tangent over. I'm just ranting here. Actually, I don't even know how long this has been on for, but I don't mind because we're getting through this book pretty decently. I hope the music isn't too loud still. I almost feel like I need I need like a intermission here, but we're we're cooking. Public goods is like education. Oh no! Oh my gosh! I don't know why I just said is like public goods like colon education are particularly susceptible to the tragedy of the commons in a scenario. Like when I said that more cows means less money for the farmers, even though one cow means money for that farmer. So education is a good example because uh, poor schools, right? This is the thing. Public education is great for a few schools, but when everyone has public education, you then get poor schools because not enough money to go around. So that's the thing, like one public school, awesome. Everyone gets the best quality education. Tons, not good education. But that's even controversial. Like I'm, I'm, I personally think public, public education is amazing. I would never, I would never speak against it. But anyways, um, what, ooh, whoop, I gotta keep going. Parkinson's law. This ties, ties into something called the Hofstadter law. This is kind of a paradox because Parkinson's law is that things, if you give yourself a year to complete an essay, it'll take a year. If you give yourself a day, it'll take a day. Hofstadter's law says that when you tell yourself something will take X amount of time, it will actually take longer than you think. So this is where it's kind of paradoxical because let's say a person goes, okay, I'm aware of Parkinson's law, so I'm going to give myself a year. Uh, no, no, I'm aware of Parkinson's law, so I'm going to give myself a day to get it done. But then Hofstadter's law would say, oh, no, it's actually going to take you two days, which is still better than a year. But then that's where the person who's aware of Hofstadter's law would say, okay, I'm going to say it's going to take me half a day, so it actually takes me a day. Now, that would mean um, – yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess you could do that. I, I just feel like I feel like it's a paradox because something will always take longer than you want. Oh, I, I get it now. Because if something, let's say you said you want to do it in a day, Parkinson's law would say it would take a day, but Hofstadter's law would say it takes a day and a half. So then Parkinson's law would mean that you'll take a day and a half to do it if you're aware of Hofstadter's law it's almost like the awareness like if you're aware that will take you a day and a half because of Hofstadter's law then it will actually take you a day and a half because that's the time you've given yourself I don't know and and then it's just weird like they contradict each other because then if the person's like no no I know about Hofstadter's law so I'm gonna go a day half a day well then the Parkinson's law thing saying it'll take a day actually gets bumped up to half a day but then but then, if, if, that's the thing, but then if Hofstadter's law says, no, it'll take more than half a day, Parkinson's law goes back to maybe a full day, but then Hofstadter's law would be a day and a half, and that's why they always keep conscious, because Hofstadter's law always goes past Parkinson's law, that's the thing, so they never actually are in tune. Anyways, I just probably confused the living shit out of you, that's okay, we're gonna keep cooking. Chapter 6 talks about not reinventing the wheel. So I'll ask you a question. Have you used other people's systems to create a successful business? Or, or have you used other people's resources? Probably. AI black boxes. Okay, this concept, be very quick about it. It is that AI, they're not smart as, 
well, technically as smart as us, where if you tell it to build a house, but you tell it to just build a house no matter what, whatever gets in the way, it will kill people to build a house if the, if the person's standing under the machine. Whereas if you say, build this house, but do not kill anyone, what if there's an anthill on the property? They're not going to kill the ants. See what I'm saying? So that's the issue with some of these AI black boxes. Parallel processing, this mental model. This is where... This kind of has to do with quantum computing where two decisions are made at once. That's why they call it parallel processing. You're not in a conga line to be processed. But you can look at this as business too. Let's say a person wants to buy a bike and a bed. And let's say there's just one Amazon factory. That means they have to ship out the bed and then ship out the bike. However, if they have two Amazon factories, they can ship the bed and the bike out the exact same time. That's parallel processing. That makes people more money. That makes people better in their business. Same thing as like fitness. If two people want to be trained, instead of saying, I will train Jim on Monday and Becky on Tuesday, hire another trainer and then Jim and Becky can both train on Monday. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So, could there be any parallel processing systems with your business or in your life? Next mental model, it's called the Shirky Principle. When folks who can change the world don't because of their interests, that is the Shirky Principle. Like an example of TurboTax made it harder for people to pay their taxes using the government because that was a free resource because they wanted people to use them and pay them. So this is, it's ironic, right? The Shirky Principle is actually irony because the people who are trying to make paying taxes easier are making it harder for people. Isn't that interesting? Think about all the other businesses that do that. So, do you catch yourself using this principle? Do you see others using this principle? That's the question. Next model, the flywheel analogy. This is where if you become knowledgeable in something, it takes a lot of inertia to, to gain that initial knowledge. But then momentum makes it easy to stay updated in that industry, right? So for me to learn everything about the body and fitness and mindset and goal setting and behavior change, that takes years. But then once I have that established foundation, any new information that comes in, I, I simply can roll with it. Like if there's a new updated way of training, I already know the other ways. Therefore, I can bounce the idea off myself and see if it's good or not. That's just one example. But again, it's easy once you're in an industry. And this is why you see certain companies pick things up quick. Apple, you know, Netflix, they're just jumping in. Amazon, they're jumping into other industries because they already have, say, that like tech foundation see what i'm saying so my question is there anything in life where you feel you're on a learning curve so that inertia they talk about and then any areas you feel you have tons of momentum because you've already established the inertia anyways this they were talking this isn't a mental model but they were talking about studies on changing start times for teens in school and i love this i actually want to comment on this because i think they should do it i think the book has a great point i've seen articles talk about how if they ended school at 5 o'clock instead of 3 and then started at like 10. You'd think, oh, they're going to go to bed later. Maybe some, but those are the outliers. I think most kids would actually still go to bed at the same time. They would still do it. They, they're so in, uh, um, used to their routine. It's ingrained. And that's why I think it could work. There's a mental model here called the sharpshooter fallacy. This is where imagine someone shoots a wall and then draws the target around their bullet hole to make it look like they hit a bullseye. That's the sharpshooter fallacy. Science can be very bad for this, where they get the results and then create these hypotheses 
to try and make things look different than what they actually thought would happen. And that's obviously because of the bias of companies paying them to make certain data appealing. Like Coca-Cola funding studies and shit, or the egg companies funding studies. Uh, this also, you got to be careful because gurus, authors, teachers, they can be bad for this as well. Where, where they shape something around a, uh, like an answer instead of coming up with a cool question. So be cautious what info is presented. Survivorship bias. This is the coolest one. If you've made it this far in the podcast, this is, to me, the coolest. So in World War II, planes were coming back with bullet holes. And the engineers were told to study these planes and make better ones. So they kept trying to build up the armor around where the bullet holes were on the planes that came back, right? It makes sense. They realized, though, they were missing something. They were patching up the bullet holes. The planes that didn't even return because they were shot down clearly were being hit where the bullet holes were not because that was the weakest part. So this was trippy at first, but I hope you can understand all the bullets the plane took and was able to still make it back. That's the strongest part of the plane. That's why it got back, actually. It's the planes that didn't return got shot where the planes that returned did not get shot. So, and you can Google this and look at photos. It was the wings and the tails were all torn up, but they made it back. So the engineers actually put more padding on the middle part of the, sh- of the plane, around the cockpit and the engine, and they had better rates of return. That's survivorship bias. Now that you know that example, think about how often this happens. You see people say, I dropped out of college, like Bill Gates and um, Zuckerberg. So people say, like, oh, I can do it too. Well, that's just survivorship. We, don't, we didn't see all the people that dropped out of college and became failures. <laughs> Right? We just see the people that, quote unquote, returned back to ship, like Zuckerberg and um, Microsoft guy, Bill Gates. Uh, what else? We see it there. We see it. Um, we see it. There's another example here. Yeah, I think that's actually the best example. So anyways, any, any planes coming into your life metaphorically? Uh, could you modify your quote-unquote metaphorical undamaged areas? This mental model, it's called the gambler's fallacy. When you're on a streak, you think that streak will end. <laughs> so you guess that it will end. You actually start predicting it and guessing it. Umpires in baseball are bad for this. Judges are bad for this. Loan officers and students are bad for this. I'll tell you why. Umpires, let's say someone throws four strikes in a row. Typically, it does not happen much. So let's say that fifth pitch is right on the edge of the plate. They're going to call it a ball because they think they should because of the gambler's fallacy. They know that statistically there should be a ball soon, so they're going to call that. Um, Judges, if they get, and they've done studies on all this, so I'm not just making this up. Judges, if they get like four people in a row that got sentenced to prison time they think if they put a fifth person in through they're doing something wrong because they know statistically that doesn't happen much so then if it's borderline they're more likely to let the person go loan officers same thing they don't usually give out loans like every time so let's say after like the 10th loan they're like okay someone who's on the brink of credit they're like okay no, 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 no loan for you because statistically they know they probably shouldn't give another one out students on multiple choice we have all been here you circle a five times in a row you're like, there's no way it can be A again. So you second guess yourself, and if it's close, you're not going to pick A. 
We see this with, uh, they, they talk about regression to the mean, and this is very much like a math and data thing, but this is why we see sophomore slumps in sports and jobs and other things, is you can only ride the high wave for so long. What I mean by regression to the mean is if the person's an outlier, and they're off to the side of the chart, and the mean, obviously we know is the average in the middle, they are slowly gonna regress to the mean. It could be slow, like, you know, every it, some people are the best their whole career, but they're still not an MVP every season, see what I'm saying? Like, they're always gonna regress back to the mean sometimes. Keep that in mind. Um, are you a victim to this psychological characteristic? You tell me. There's something here called decision trees and expected value this is trippy and it's probably best if i were to show you on a whiteboard but i'll try and paint a simple picture so you have two options contractor one contractor two for example contractor one you know will do the job in a week and will charge twenty five hundred dollars for example contractor two you know there's a chance they could do the job in half a week um, and they're going to charge like 2000 bucks. So it's a little cheaper, but it's only like a 50% chance they'll charge $2,000. And then, but there's also a 50% chance they'll take two weeks instead of a week. So, and then that will cost you because of their time, it will cost you like three grand. This is where now you have to make what they call a decision tree and expected value chart where you would actually multiply 50 by the two grand. This is for the contractor that might take too long, but might also be shorter. And that's where you say, okay, 50% of 2,000 is 1,000. 50% um, of 3,000 is 1,500. That's 2,500. And then contractor two, the one that you know will take a week, but, and then let's say charge uh, $2,800. No, no, let's, that doesn't make sense. Let's say, yeah, okay, sure, let's use those numbers, 2,800. If you remember, I said that the first guy expected value, because I just did that math, the 50 times 2,000, 50 times 3,000, because these are the options. You add up the value, and the value is actually 2,500. So you know that you will, on average, save more money than the person who will, for sure, pay 2,800. Now, this is subjective because if someone really wants peace of mind and they don't want to gamble the extra $200, then you go with the $2,800 contractor. Whereas if someone is truly going statistics-based, you go with the guy that might get you the cheaper price because on average, you're going to have a, a more affordable contractor. Now, um, what was I going to say? This. I just listened to a podcast talking about fear and how as human beings, it's like if we have a if we know there's a one percent chance we're gonna get zapped by losing a coin toss, we're not even gonna lose go into the coin toss. Whereas if the and even though the reward could be money, it could be like a dollar. That fact that there is a one percent chance we get zapped just from losing the coin. So think about the odds. First of all, it's 50-50 you'd win the coin toss. Even if you do lose, they they you know there's a one percent chance they pull out the card saying you're getting zapped. It's like humans are so scared of these of these negative consequences that we don't even look at the the realistic data. And this is the case here as well. Some people are going to be so scared of paying too much, they're not even going to look at the math and be like, oh, the math makes sense. And that's decision trees and expected value. If I wrote it down, you'd really understand it. But 
it's kind of fascinating. I never thought about that. I'll be using that for sure down the road in my life. Uh, I'm going to skip past all this. It's just like knowns versus unknowns. Known. So there's the known knowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns, and unknown unknowns. And it's this like picture a chart uh, like uh, with four boxes. And it just talks about like not knowing what you don't even know and then how you can know what you know and know what you don't know. And it's like for business owners and stuff. There's this cool thing on entanglement theory talking about Schrodinger's cat. I really want you to look this up. It was mind blowing because let's say in a box, there's a cat and there's a chance that it could die in the box. When you open the box, you know for sure if it died or not. But when you close the box, there is a 50-50 chance it's dead or alive. But you don't know unless you open it. And so that's where it doesn't sound logically possible. Like it sounds impossible that the cat is actually dead and alive at the exact same time in the box. I know that sounds really trippy, but if you look up entanglement theory, this is what actually happens with, I think, I think it's neur- uh, electrons floating around an atom is when they zoom in and they can see this like with microscopes and whatnot, they only see that the electrons in a certain place when they zoom in on it, even though it could be in a whole different place and they are at electrons in different places all the time. And for this reason, it proves, well, sorry, suggests, does not prove, suggests that there's always another thing, just thing out there opposite to what you're finding that there so because there are so many atoms in the universe scientists know for a fact there's an electron in a different place than where they saw it on the microscope that is like for them it's a fact there's too many possibilities too many atoms for there not to be an electron in a different place so they they extrapolate this even further and say that there's another version of you and i doing the literal exact same thing right now somewhere else and that there's maybe just a tiny difference like we could have put on just a different shirt but other than that our whole life is the same and that then there's another a third version of us in another universe somewhere and we've put on a different colored shirt but the whole life's the same and you could think of the endless possibilities of our life in that case and I find that really fascinating. That's entanglement theory. And it's just a theory, but still, I, to think differently than the status quo is what I'm all about. And that's what I bring to y'all on this podcast. Anyways, let's move to lateral thinking. This is when you think side to side versus critical thinking, which is attacking the idea. And I love to use lateral thinking for my clients. So instead of people attacking the idea of losing body fat, for, for them, they're going to think about the irrational ways of just cutting calories and increasing energy. But that's often not a sustainable way to go. The same way that for some businesses, critical thinking is not sustainable. Like for a business to just say, we have to sell 10 cars today. Just sell the 10 cars and you're going to be a millionaire. Instead of saying, let's help people buy cars and tell them the pros and cons of the cars. And that will translate into millionaires and million dollar purchases. See what I'm saying? So for fitness, to get back on track, I tell people, instead of focusing on your body fat, let's actually just look at lifting more weight. Let's look at performance. That's a whole different goal. But the performance goal, increasing muscle mass, actually 
reduces body fat because metabolism is increased when you have more muscle mass. See what I'm saying? So that's lateral thinking still helping the cause, the, the root cause, shall I say. Do you use lateral thinking in your life to gain an advantage? You tell me. There's this funny comic on crowdsourcing, and, and it went like this. There was a principal getting a kid in trouble for cheating, and the kid goes, I wasn't copying off others. I was just crowdsourcing the answers. <laughs> and this is really cool. Um, I, I see all the time creators do this. So YouTubers you look in the comments section to see what they need to make next. Um, books will look at forums. You know, the fans will do the legwork for most of these creators. <laughs> and the creators listen to the fans. I've actually seen YouTube channels where they just react to comments. That's it. And the commenters are really what's making the business. <laughs> There's two things. This is another mental model called social versus market norms. And this is a really cool story. A market, and I should explain first. So a social norm would be a rule against your morals and ethics. Market norm is a rule against values, values of, it could be currency, let's say. So there's a story here, a daycare where they were telling parents, don't be late to pick up your kids because it's not good. And you know, some parents relate, but, oh my God, there's a huge ear, ear butt. What are they called? I forget. There's a huge bug in my base. Oh my gosh. Anyways. So these people, uh, oh, an ear, earwig that's it go look up an earwig that thing has got to be an inch long oh my god anyways so at this daycare the parents were then told if you are for every like 10 minutes you're late we're gonna find you so some of the parents it turned into a market norm it wasn't any longer a social norm now they said oh 100 bucks like that's nothing it is worth a hundred dollars for me to be late because i can make more than that at my job see what i'm saying that is now a market norm. It's actually no different than during COVID. I remember hearing that you could get fined $1,000 if you were caught going on a vacation or something. Imagine if you were on your way to make $10,000, the $1,000 would just be a business expense to making 10,000. See what I'm saying? So that's where the market norm that the government put in place didn't make sense if someone was going to make $10,000 that day, they wouldn't care if they were pulled over. They would pay the, ha the $1,000 happily, actually. It's kind of like an investment. Uh, and then so this daycare saw that it wasn't helping. It actually made things worse when they made a market norm because people didn't care. Their time was worth more than that. So they brought it back to a social norm and said, okay, okay, just we're taking the fine out of it because I just want you to not have your kids waiting. And then because the social norm was taken down by the market norm, so now they realized like, it didn't matter anymore. It got even more worse. People were even more late to get their kids. So imagine, I wonder if it would work. Let's use that driving analogy. Let's say they put out things like, if you drive, you will kill someone with COVID by spreading it. Maybe that would do more damage than charging a thousand bucks. I don't know. Cause that's, that's what a social norm is, is threatening with the ethics and the morals market norms, threatening with money or something of value. Um, okay. Loss leader strategy. We see this in business when you purposely lose money somewhere to gain more profits elsewhere. Costco does this with their hot dogs. Costco does not make money on their hot dogs. However, if they got rid of their hot dogs, they might lose people due to infuriation that would 
pay hundreds in other parts of the store. See what I'm saying? Uh, you see a lot of businesses do this with free shipping. They're losing some money on the free shipping, but it's actually causing people to spend more money in the store. That's lost leader strategy. It's very smart. I do this personally with free sessions. I give my clients free sessions if they refer someone. So really, it's like I'm losing some money on the front end, but by getting more people in the long run, I make way more money. The Peter Principle. This is one quick quote. Managers rise to the level of their incompetence. I love this because there's a picture and it shows, imagine this. It's like a staircase and it goes success, accomplishment, success, accomplishment, success, accomplishment, and then failure. So it's not success anymore. And that's where people usually stop. Like that's like it says, they've reached their level of incompetence. No one very few people, I should say, not no one, when they hit success, they don't go, okay, I'm good. No, they try to seek out another accomplishment and they go one stair further. If you drew it out, you'd see what I mean. And I love that saying, managers rise to the level of their incompetence. There's another quote here, culture is what happens when managers aren't in the room. And it is so true. That is the culture of your household, your business, your school, your team. Awesome. Uh, there are four fact. we're getting right to the end here, people. I'm excited. We'll talk here about what makes a great leader quick. I'm just going to take a little breather real quick here. Okay. I am back folks. Just had to take a quick bathroom break. I was holding that PM so long. I thought I could get through this podcast with it, but it was torturing me too much. So I never thought about these four factors for keeping employees and they put in brackets loyalists. One, a great leader, obviously. Two, a mission. People will walk away from a job that pays more if they feel they're going to make a difference in others or their own lives and they're on a mission to do it. Number three is values and culture, obviously. Number four is location. This is interesting. Folks in New York City or the Bay Area, like a tech bubble, they're always pressured to leave for a competitor down the street who will pay more, give more equity, more responsibility. However, when it's a smaller town or just even a smaller city or an underrated business, they're more loyal. All right, keep that in mind. A later chapter here talks about the secrets that make people rich. Betting on the underdog. Sabermetrics. That's, you know, for the Oakland days. If you've seen Moneyball, you know what I mean. They used, they used stats that no one was looking at that led to more runs to win games. So they bought players for cheaper who provided them higher stats in those categories. Uh, Airbnb even. This is a secret that made someone rich. Is they're like, okay... Well, what if someone doesn't want to use a hotel? Boom, I got a business for that. <laughs> Any secrets that you've seen before other people? Any predictions of potential booming businesses you have? You tell me. Next model here. It, oh, it's just a reminder, actually, that timing is everything in life. And they talked about Apple making a tablet, and it was a bust because it was pre-internet era. They made another one post-internet era and it sold more than any other product. Why? Because there's more to do on a tablet when you have the internet. <laughs> so notice this ties into Metcalf's law on critical mass. And Metcalf's law, by the way, is the more people in a network or more people using a product, the more utility or value in that network slash product. For example... The more people that were on the internet, the better the tablet did. 
and there was the the critical mass portion like the tipping point they call it was when the internet was invented see what i'm saying and that is metcalf's law so keep that in mind next my mother always preached timing was everything for relationships kids and work there you go that's what that's what uh, my mother told me wise barbara Regarding economics, your $100 million business will either be 10 people paying $10 million each or 100 million people paying a dollar each. Now, if you ask me, I think the sweet spot, because they talk about where in there can you actually ask more than the numbers I just hit with you. And I think on the cheap end, I think someone's more likely to give 10 cents more for each dollar purchase than a million dollars more in there. $10 million purchase, if you ask me. And then just, you can do the math yourself. Like, we're talking way more than $100 million in your business if you can do $0.10 cents more on each $100 million uh, products. And looks to me like that is it. Wow, we got through it. And just under an hour here, there's the book summary. So wh who needs seven hours to read a book when you got me? I'll just tell you in one hour. Perfect. I hope you all enjoyed this. Um, oh boy. It says the max recording time for segments is 60 minutes. Keep an eye on the clock. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that we're done then. And I didn't just get cut off by the Anchor app. Cool. I hope you learned some things. Talk to your friends about that book. This this was a pleasure. I did not expect to go this long. To be honest. I probably could have broken this up into two episodes. But hey, screw it. One and done, baby. Take care. Shalom Aleichem, my people. See you around.